This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the FanQuest Virtual Halloween Ball. Friday, October 30th from 6 p.m. till midnight, we have a horror creators panel, we have cosplay showcase, horror trivia, and we'll be watching some scary movies and TV shows. Come join us, facebook.com slash fanquestcon. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. Um, I'm here with my uh, co-host, Dan Vatermonker, our producer extraordinaire, and my long-suffering studio mate, Justin Curry, also known as Chasing Artwork, uh, who seems to be furiously responding to social media inquiries about his new foil store. <laughs> <laughs> how are things going, guys? Good. Is that what you're doing? Uh, well, so I recently got a, an order of foils. And so with a lot of printers, they always have, like, if you want 50 of something, they usually print 55, 56, just in case something goes wrong. Yeah. It's not quite an exact science either, too, Yeah, right? Yeah. So it's, you either get exactly what you wanted, you either get exact numbers, or you get a couple extras, is usually how it goes. You never get less than what you wanted. Um, but in this case, there was a couple files that I got, like, exactly the amount I ordered, but there was one or two uh, misprints in there. And with the foils, it's a, it's a vector shape that you send away, and they make a metal die of it, and they hit the paper with the foil stamp first. So it's a blank piece of paper with now this gold shape on it. And then they take that, and they run it through a normal printing process, so it gets the piece printed on top. So my artwork prints with where the foil's going to shine through, that's all Cut blank. Out. That's all yeah. white. So then it comes out as a print with this nice foil uh, shiny bit. Um, but on a couple of these, the foil stamp only seemed to hit about half the paper. So there's this big hard line where the gold stops. Oh, wow. And then there's just nothing. Huh. So it's, uh, yeah. And, and normally I wouldn't, I wouldn't. So those are the half price. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally half off. But because these are all limited edition, they're all hand-numbered out of right. 250 or 300. If I'm missing a couple, that's kind of a bigger deal than if it was just a normal print and I could print more. I'm only printing that amount. So anyone that gets damaged or missing kind of is a big deal. Right. Yeah. So, so your they, problem, really, what you're, sh what you're saying is that your honesty has put you in this, in this predicament. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Actually, I had a problem with uh, one of my book printers. Like early on, I did an art book where I only wanted 500 and they gave me like 570 because they had overprinting. And I didn't yeah. understand about overprinting at that time. Right. Um, and they charge you for those extras as well. They Like, you yeah. know. They yeah. Get for the dear listener, this is a good point to bring it up that when mm -hmm. you're doing any kind of print run, usually over a thousand there'll be an overage of anywhere, but usually it's about 5%. 5 to 10%. Yeah, could yeah. be up to 10%. Yeah. Um, I've rarely got overages more than 5%, but you yeah. get charged for those extra books, and they get shipped yeah. to you, and it usually is the half box that shows up with mm -hmm. the rest of your uh, ship. And it's just part of how the machine runs. The machine so, has to get up to speed to be yeah. optimal, and then it has to sort of run down again when it's turning off. So there's always a few books that come off before and after I, I used to work in printing and i gotta say that no i think we I worked at a sticker factory so we did like it was uh screen printing mainly and i gotta say that i think that kind of stuff should be built into the initial cost of it when they 
Mm. You know what I mean? It feels like those should be like over and above. Like you've already paid for the materials, the labor. You've paid for everything in your fee that you pay. And uh, and then really that should just <laughs> it should just be sorry the distractions happening around the, around the around the studio here. But it's something that basically you shouldn't have. To, I don't think you should have to pay for those extras. Should be a bonus, right? I know that this is just the way it's done, but I'm just that's just my two cents. Yeah, well, it's almost like what you're suggesting is that a business should stick to its word. So they're just taking advantage of the fact that they have like a, a margin of error in their process, which is fine. Yeah. But that margin of error should be counted by the actual fee that you pay. Yeah. Not by oh, by the way, we have ten million. Not ten million. We have extras. Especially if, pay for if you're the professional doing the printing, yeah. you feel like you're the one that should understand and work that cost yeah. in. I tend to agree with you. I would love to see a spreadsheet that calculated that extra 5% overage across an entire printer's like year. Yeah. How much more money do they make because of that? Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. For books you didn't ask for or didn't want. Right? I mean, we usually want them. But in this case, well, when it's limited and, and run. That's, and that's why they get away with it because yeah. you usually can get rid of them. You're not too, you know, oh, darn it. I have a little bit extra. It's not a usually huge deal. But yeah. well, there's always a up. couple books that are going to get damaged along the way, like from the printer to you, there's going to be some misprints. And so that's kind of a safety net for them too. Yeah. Like, Oh, three books screwed up, but we gave you 12 extras. Yeah. But you charge them for 12. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So it's not the same. Anyway. No, I like it. So I guess our theme today is uh, like truth in advertising. So on that theme, Justin truth in advertising, dragon nanny, off to the printer, you say. Off to the printer, yes. Right. Just uh, like you promised on your Kickstarter. On October 9th, which was a Friday, I think. Yeah, yeah Friday. Was last, last Friday. Yeah. Um, it was a couple days of, of barely sleeping and then back and forth with the printers and sent all my files off. Um, so what happens now is um, like I sent off uh, a cover file and then the guts of the book and the end sheets, which are like the inside between the hardcover and the book, those are printed on as well. Um, and the printer goes through them all and tries to pick apart if there's any mistakes or any errors that they see on their end. Um, what are those common errors, just for the person that's wondering right the, now? Yeah, low res is a, is a common one. Like as you're building artwork for panels, you build them one size. And once you get them into the into InDesign and you start playing around with the size, you realize you want it bigger or like a different crop. And then you stretching that makes the DPI go from 300 to maybe like 250. And if you do that too much, then you're going to be able to notice on the print file, this image is getting a little blurry. So they look for things like that. Bleed is another big one. Yeah. If you have um, stuff that's just near the edge of where the book's going to get cut, um, but you don't have it bleeding off where it's going to get cut so it could get could end up with white slivers near the edge of your page that's a big no-no so they double check stuff like that they're basically trying to find any mistake that could potentially happen and tell you about it just in case it does happen they've covered themselves and you know yeah Yeah. and then Um, you have to physically say yes you have to sign a little release saying i've looked at that yes in fact that's an error I'm willing to live with, which we My sometimes My first do. book or two, um, I didn't like. I felt quite bad because they came with all these little issues, and I thought I'd sent them like horribly set up files. But it just turns out they have to be very overly cautious. So there was a lot of things that didn't really need attention, but they need to bring it up just in case. Yeah. 
So don't be too discouraged. Anybody who said don't your, be too your discouraged. First book off yeah. the, you didn't make a ton of errors. That's no. right. You just uh, I think I had like 150, maybe 200 flags <laughs> on a 150 page book of the Imagination Manifesto, the first one. But all it was was um, most of them were bleed issues where I had. Uh, a lot of black on the edge of the page and I had to make sure that it went far enough past the edge so that if the blade is off by a millimeter or two another direction it doesn't leave a white gap things like that so you just have to approve it and say like yes 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 so those 150 errors actually only took there was only 10 really that needed actual attention but Mm -hmm. they're doing their due diligence to make sure you know something I still find like I, I, I get it, but I still think it's dumb is the, <laughs> if you're, you're getting a book printed with an offset press. Oh, here means, we go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so angry at this. You dude. know what's going, yeah, you know what's coming. Yeah. So an offset press is this huge building sized machine with four plates for cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And this huge poster size sheet of paper comes down the line and gets stamped with all the colors. And at the end of it is a page of your book and... This happens over and over again, and it's um, it takes a very long time, or it's very expensive to set up these sheets and set up the machine and blah, blah, blah. So before you get a uh, book printed, they send you a proof of some of the, your finished pages. But the problem is they send you a digital proof, which means it's printed digitally. On a different which, printer. On a different printer. Nothing... Nothing close to what your book is going to get printed on. Where all the colors come out of the little jets at the same time, just like your inkjet printer Just like a normal mom-and-pop printer down the way. So they send you this, like, here's what your book's going to look like, maybe, (laughs) proof for you to sign off on. Here's what we'd like your book to look like, right? (laughs) Might not work. So it's funny you say that, because on the third Imagination Manifesto, the colors are very wrong. Oh, because on the digital proof. Because I signed off on my proof, and then the machine that it came off on was a different machine than the proof. And uh, it was, I mean, the book itself is kind of weird and a little bit experimental. So those shades that were off by, to the average consumer, they have no idea. I was quite upset. And so I had to, and maybe this is a good time to bring it up. When I was upset, they said, listen, we could pulp the run and start over. But then you have to wait again, Mm -hmm. however many months. Or what should we do? And I said, well, give me a monetary right? Apology. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Show me that you mean it by adjusting the final bill to represent. I can live with it because my consumer in this case doesn't know that that green should be two shades higher because the last book doesn't match. They all had a different tone. Oh, okay. It, yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so I was able to live with it and it was experimental and it was a short run. It was like under 2000 copies. So, you know, we made it work. You will go out there. I won't. And nothing you say will make me. The show must go on. Where is Dragon Nanny right now? Um, so right now it's getting like uh, torn apart by their pre-press departments and they're trying to find any okay. issues. Um, so I've been kind of like on edge waiting to get that email to see if there's any major changes. There'll be something, um, but I don't think can't be that major. Yeah. And well, actually, like, yeah, every book I've done, there's been less and less because I know that, oh, yeah, that's not a big concern. There's like very little chance that's going to be a problem. But like yeah. it's it's yeah, they're very overly cautious. And now I've done enough books to kind of know. So I'm only expecting of like the 26 errors that they managed to find probably maybe one, two to three need to actually be addressed. 
And it's important to point out too, I think for someone who is thinking to start this, it's, it's pretty standard that those couple of pages, they charge you to fix them. Oh, they charge okay. you per page. Yeah, yeah, per page. So you've set up, you've got your, you've received your um, uh, quote so that you know what to budget for for the total print run. And then they've given you a sort of a, a window of how much the pre-production will cost. But then every change that happens after you submit the file costs you more. They don't build, they don't build any changes into it? No. Oh. They, yeah, and there's... There's different, like, if you make the changes and resupply up to a certain amount, I think is free. Like, yeah. I can submit up to, like, five, let's, I, and I don't know the actual numbers, depends on the printer. Yeah. But if there's only five pages that need tweaks, I can resend those five pages and it's fine. If it's over five pages, then it's enough work that they need to charge. I'd have to refresh my memory. I feel like it was a percentage of the total page yeah, count. I believe so. Is how they calculate that. And then you can also, if you're too busy, like if it's a change they can do on their end, they can also do it on their end and the you billion. pay for that. Yeah. Their graphic design. I feel like the, yeah. the printing industry is very lucrative and they basically get to say it's all your fault if they make a mistake kind of it, thing. It can be lucrative. <laughs> um, I would not want to ship, store, and warehouse paper. No, I know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but um, there's very little fault at the, at the printer's end, right? It's all like do all this stuff properly yeah. and it'll go well. But if you mess up even one thing. Yeah. We're gonna charge you for it. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, I, don't know, I mean, this is the way the industry is. I don't mean to complain about it, whatever. Well, it's not yeah, even my problem. Sorry, you worked at a worked I worked at, at a, sticker? a sticker factory. It was How? I was in the shipping department though. Okay, so I didn't actually do the. But printing. you didn't have to deal with the people who don't understand what DPI is, what yes, CMYK is, yes. what yeah. like you know. I just downloaded it off the internet, and so I can print it, right? Yeah, and I, yeah, I those get, people are the bane of everyone's. I did get a, that experience when I worked at the ad agency I worked at, where we did. I did have clients that were like that very much. Here's an image. Here's our logo, and it's just like a, a really, really low res logo on like yeah. a white background. That's it's awful. Yeah, people. Yeah. Some people don't just don't understand that aspect yeah. of it. But this is also uh, this isn't us saying like these are the things that we wish would change or we're never printing again. These are just things that. These are the problems this that we faced yeah. that are part of doing the job. We get to you... complain about work sometimes too. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> this is what I'm saying. That these are the things like every job has the stuff you wish was a little bit different yeah. that would yeah. smooth it all out for everyone, mm -hmm. that it'll probably take 50 years and 10 new innovations before they go away. Yes. So printing, these are the things where like printers probably have a best practice that would fix all that, but it would require training all their clients so often it's about retraining the clients and not the company itself. It's For example, like most digital printers can handle RGB really well these days. Like if you send um, RGB is for for web images, images that are going to be seen on a screen. RGB is what um, colors made out of light. And CMYK is what physical ink uh, you mix together to make, right? So if you send, if you used to send RGB to a printer, the printer can't print in RGB, so it will kind of scramble things and will look like crap. Right. They've since developed programs to really translate that. Really So well. now you can send files in the wrong color gamut to a printer, and it'll print fine. But nobody really talks about that. Yeah, they, because they because. don't want to let the average person believe that they can download something off the internet yeah. in RGB, and it will work. Right, because right. most of the time, that won't work. But if you're exporting from your InDesign or your... Uh, well, InDesign will automatically CMYK convert, but um, I work, for example, in my Photoshop, my files, the filters, the layers, and the light effects that I use, um, 
multiplied into each other only works in RBG. And then you so, flatten it at the very end, right? Then I have right? to flatten it as my yeah. last step. RG, is it RGB or RBG? R- red, green, blue. R- <laughs> red, green, blue. You got me caught up you're thinking with about, a, about judge. Ru- yeah, you think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. The notorious RBG. Right, yeah. She's the notorious. <laughs> um, the world would be a better place if she was still in it. Yes, that's true. Sure. Uh, so these are some of the steps where, like, when a person isn't conversant in the language of printing graphic design, it can be very frustrating. And that's why they charge so much for those changes. Right. Because what they're anticipating is you don't know anything. Okay. And we have to and fix you, it. And it's like, a, it's like a deterrent. So you better, by the next time you, time, the next time you do this, you better know what you're doing or else you're going to pay more money. Yeah. Or you okay. hire someone to do your pre-press right. ahead of time who does know. Yes. Right? Um, and then uh, what you're talking about as far as a change in the industry goes, that reminds me of the conversation you had with Lover and... Um, I don't kind of pronounce Kinzersky. How do you say his last name? Kinzersky. Kinzersky. Yeah. Lovern Kinzersky. When he was on the podcast talking about how low, Lovern. Lovern. Yeah. Oh. If he's listening, he'll be mad if I don't correct <laughs> you. Lovern Kinzersky. Okay, I'm so sorry. You can like drag that Z out if you really want to make it sound sexy. He talked about when he started coloring comic books digitally how much of resistance he got from industry, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that was a revolution. And that, I mean, now everybody does it that way. But at the time, nobody was doing it that way. And he really had to fight to, to make, to let people, show people that this was going to work. So, yeah, it was a great big conversation. I'm going to link to that in the show notes below just so people can. Yeah, that was a great episode. One. An interesting thing about that too is um, that period in comics history was the period in which essentially um, assistance disappeared. So it used to be if you made comics, you had to have assistance. You had to have an assistant to help um, size up your art sometimes. You had to transfer it onto a board. Uh, sometimes you had an assistant ink the backgrounds while you did the foreground. If you worked, if you needed to do your work in color, you needed an assistant to do color separations. You would give them a guide, and then they would do the taxing work of separating that, that uh, CMYK conversion. Uh, all that stuff required lots of different people to be learning about the steps of making comics before they made their own comics. They would know the constituent parts of how it came together. Along comes desktop computing, and suddenly the entire industry of assistance is obliterated. And so I think when you're talking about that resistance, it wasn't just that, oh, it's new and I don't like it. It was that you were legitimately saying, this is the end to a way of life. We've automated the car factories. That's right. You all don't have jobs anymore. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you can see that resistance built into, because if you multiply that by, you know, hundreds of books being made every month at the comic book level, right? You're talking about 500, 1,000 jobs. uh, And these are people you've known your whole life, right? So when someone's like, don't worry, we can do that all digitally, right? Don't worry, those 1,000 people that you used to pay and who relied on you for their well-being... You don't need them. Yeah. There's, there's a whole other human calculation that goes on, I think. That's right? tough. I'm definitely pro-innovation, but it's, uh, it's not without its costs. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Kickstarter is a good example of that, coming back around to our topic. Mm-hmm. Right? We, you and I, uh, and Sam, Biko, basically have done the job that would normally, and in will. traditional publishing, yeah, Will, I guess, at the, yeah. right at the start also. Yeah, yeah he left did our heavy lifting at the beginning. Um, the four of us did a job that would normally in traditional publishing, you know, 20 years ago, take 15 or 20 people to do, mm. right? And that's largely because computers have done what they've always promised, right? Make 
one person capable of doing much more labor. So it's democratized the like idea from idea to consumer, but it's, you know, it's not without its, with its cost. I was on the show in 82, episode 81. Got killed by a lava monster before the first commercial. Ah! It's crazy. I was watching this uh, tutorial just for fun. Well, actually, because my kids are interested in it. So I was trying to learn ahead of the curve enough that I could teach down to them mm -hmm. some of these programs. But this ability to like draw a 2D illustration, drop it into some of these programs, it mocks up a rough 3D version that you can just grab its nose now and twist it. Like, that was the work of hundreds of hours before. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, it will get there. Right? We're going to see one shop animation studios or one well, person. It's, it's, already happening, well. it's already happening on YouTube. Um, th those kind of single person anime, animators, there's a huge category of those guys on YouTube and for video games. Mm -hmm. I actually, last night I was just playing uh, Sonic Mania. Have you played Sonic Mania? It's uh, from a few years back. It's uh, the game that kind of brought Sonic the Hedgehog back. To I was going to say, there's been a lot of crap Sonic well, games. Yes. Is this one of the good ones? This is the, it's really good. <laughs> and it, it's such a, and, and the story behind it is that. Um, the guy they hired um, to be the main developer on it had had done a couple of fan Sonic games. There you go. So oh, he so coded they, yeah, in, in yeah, kind yeah. of this underground hacking community. He was part of this where they make their own Sonic games. Yeah. And so based on that work, they hired him. Sega actually hired him to do this one, which is a huge, it's just a great homage to the original Sonic the Hedgehog. And it's got Knuckles and Tails and all the characters you love. And it really feels like a Sonic game as opposed to a lot of those ones that came out even in the last decade, they were kind of 3D and a bit weird and not really, like, didn't really feel like Sonic games. Yeah, well, this, they they, did they just kind of let the license go to whoever, whoever wanted Yeah, yeah whoever so. could pay for it. And then that kind of, the quality went down. Yeah. But from that kind of small community of, of creators, this guy was able to, I guess, quote unquote, go legit. And yeah, the same thing for animators and for and comic books and everything else. So yeah. anybody could do anything these days. Yeah, and it's what, podcasting even is a great example of that. Right, sure. you used to, you know, you used to have to go to a radio station to do this kind of well, stuff. Yeah. Or if you were pirate radioing, like people would <laughs> show up at your house, right, and arrest you. You used to have to load it, load it to the back of your truck and drive around like uh, Christian Slater. Slater, <laughs> pump up the volume. We used to have to pump the volume up for this stuff. That's right. But yeah, this is exactly it, right? So, um, what will the next thing be? It's interesting, and I think we, you know, you you got to underline it. Uh, the COVID situation has forced a lot of people to reevaluate what the regular way of doing things is versus what if there was a different way to do things. And I think a lot of industries we're going to see a year from now make some significant changes in, number one, probably firing most of their middle management. Um, yeah. And number two, making actual innovative changes. Also reducing office space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Making more people are going to be, everyone's just going to keep working from home. I yeah. Think. Why wouldn't like, you? Why would you pay for extra office space yeah. when you can just work from home? If your productivity is the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's true. Yeah. As, totally. Not that I want you guys to give up the studio. I really like the studio. No, it's we very, like very it. Cool. Well, I mean, the thing is for us, it's a, it's a real calculation, I would say. If Dragon Nanny becomes book after that, book after that, then the studio is required for the housing and the logistics of moving thousands of books to their next point of destination. Mm -hmm. If it's not true and shows don't come back and Show, we don't... Well, shows are going to come back. Shows are going to come back. They're going to come back, Greg. He's, he's long. He's looking at, he's looking yeah, at me. The expression was not... Uh, well, I, yeah. I mean, he's not wearing hopeful. a mask and I can still tell the expression <laughs> on his yeah. face. 
uh, it'll be a long time. It's gonna be a while, yeah. Be a and they years. won't come back the way they came. Ba- they were before. No. And nor should they. And I mean, all the things that we never said on our podcast about the problematic lifestyle of um, conventions, the waste, the greed, the corruption. All that stuff. The bad hygiene. Right? The bad, well, bad hygiene. But, uh, you <laughs> know. certain smells at conventions, I've noticed. The <laughs> fueling of a speculator market. Like, let's take Funkos for an example. Oh, right? yeah. Like, this is unhealthy casino level evil of like, <laughs> we're going to make sure that these people who are super addicted to this purchasing system have something else to spend their money on within three weeks. Right? Like, that kind of stuff is all being picked apart right now, right? Mm-hmm. And whether or not it all comes back, I don't... Well, I hope it all doesn't come back. I hope only the good parts come back. Shows like FanQuest, and I'm not just saying that because you're on our team, <laughs> but shows like FanQuest that are, that are more focused on, on the experience and not the cash register. And much smaller in scale as yeah. well, right? Like, I hope are the shows that come back. Yeah. And shows like uh, TCAF, VanCAF, Shows that are showcasing um, that, that they're they're equal parts. They're very financially rewarding, but they're also artistically sound. Right? They have mm-hmm. artistic integrity at their core of their management. Uh, these are the kinds of shows I hope become sort of the new flag bearers of what comes back safely. Well, now, what about the idea? And one of the things reasons we we did FanQuest is because we didn't like the idea of charging for autographs. That whole idea, the whole system that's in place. And now what's happening, and I'm on, I'm on these mailing lists because I run a convention. I get emails from people offering up talent for virtual appearances. Yeah. Right? So, like, you have them on Zoom, and you can talk to them on Zoom. And then they also offer us a, a session of, like, autograph signing where the person, it's almost like a virtual line like you would get at a convention. So, you, you know, one by one, people can sign up for this. They can have a virtual, like, a few minutes with the, with the guest, speak to them. The person signs their print or whatever it is or their photo and then that gets mailed to them at a later date. That's how that works. But you actually do see them sign it, so you know that they signed it, that yeah. kind of thing. I'm going to call it right now that, the, that a few of those guests, the number of inappropriate interactions that they will have is going to... Oh, probably. Is gonna, I, don't, I don't know about the privacy around these, these meetings or anything. I don't know exactly how it works. Well, whatever the privacy the is, public. if it's a one-on-one... Remember chat roulette? How that yeah. quickly That's what it'll into... end up being. It'll be chat roulette, <laughs> but you might have Henry Cavill at the other end. Well, the thing, Henry Cavill doesn't need to do this, but there are there's a certain category of of con guests that this is their main source of income or these uh, totally. appearances, yeah. and it's been affected by uh, yeah. by this. Now, I, I follow a number of these people on TikTok. I'm a kind of a big fan of TikTok. I don't know if I told you guys that or not. You're, I just uh, like the way you say TikTok. Say it again. TikTok. <laughs> okay. I don't know what it is. It. Say it again. TikTok. Um, so I follow a number of uh, quote unquote celebrities. Uh, there, you know, there's different levels of celebrity, but one of the guys' name is Sean Whalen. And you may know him as, um, he's been uh, many, many, many characters over the years, bit parts and a bunch of stuff, but he was most notably um, uh, the guy uh, who lives under the stairs and the people under the stairs. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Uh, I can't talk his, uh, <laughs> I don't remember his name What's now. What's his name? I know who that actor talking Roach, about. Yeah. Roach, his name's Roach. Roach. Yeah. Uh, so he was that guy. He was also the guy in the famous Got Milk ad about... Alexander Hamilton, which is hilarious considering that the musical is now popular, but this was an ad back in the late 80s where the guy was asking a trivia question and the guy can't speak because he's got his mouth is full of like 
chocolate cookies or something. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he can't. He needs milk to, to clear his throat, and he can't answer the question, which is who shot Alexander Hamilton. And we all know the answer to that now. But but you, do your kids know the answer to that? No, they oh, for okay. sure don't. Okay. No. My, my kids do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, our education that... has not yet swung around to political murders. Well, yeah, yeah it's on Disney Plus, man. But we're getting to watch it. Yeah. Um, anyway, this actor. We're he getting is, there. And look, they're both looking at me own. right now, grinning. And yeah, he, don't worry. Political murders are on the list of things we'll talk about. He is about one of these book. actors that has been in a bunch of different things, including Twister, including all these major, huge movies that he played bit parts in. And so in his, his career now is, is going to cons. Although he does still get some acting work. But he's doing this all virtually through TikTok. He has live signing sessions on TikTok. And he does it all himself yeah. where people can send him money for the, the thing and he'll sign it and he'll talk to people. And it's really cool that he's going to be resourceful this where way. celebrities will... Oh, Cameo. Cameo. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I think, the probably necessary erosion of the idea of celebrity is occurring right now. Okay. Right? That's what I think. So it's like anything is available if you have the right amount of money? Yeah, but that was always true. What I'm saying is that now for a small amount of money, they're still available to you. So as that, gets, as that bar gets lower and lower and lower, people will start to realize the real truth of celebrity, which is that the notion of celebrity is worthless and just the talent behind it is what's of value. So coming back to this honesty, Justin, for example, he's worried because he has four prints that didn't work and that means what he's promised as the number available. There are many vendors in comic book land that wouldn't give a shit about that. Yeah. They would just overprint and oversell and they would just take advantage of the consumer's lack of knowledge, right? And so those are the people that I hope don't come back when the shows The baseball start. card people. The baseball card people. Yeah, 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 I get that. Right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Speculators ruin the market. Is this about the gig tomorrow? Just hammer out the details with my agent and make sure there's a limo at my house. Last time I did one of these gigs, they shoved me in the back of a Toyota. Now that we are able to do this virtually we're with pretty much anybody who wants to do it, yeah. you don't need that physical interaction. You don't need that in-person interaction. Yeah. The virtual interaction becomes just as valuable. Right, so people are, are you don't have to travel monetarily. To, yeah, it does. Oh, well, I mean, I don't think, and I don't think they're charging as much for. Actually, I don't think I don't know what the prices are for the autographs, but I suspect it would not be as much as it would be in person. Yeah. It's probably just a recording of them saying, "Oh yes, <laughs> oh yeah, okay." Mm. To Don, okay, oh, Don, to Dan, Don. Yeah, they and, spot off a couple of their famous lines. Yeah, you know, by Grabthar's hammer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a great, that movie yeah. uh, perfectly uh, depicts that lifestyle. Yes, and I think the, we've picked the movie yeah. that we have to put in this All right, episode. Well, we'll, I, can do that. I don't know if I've done that one yet, but I can Galaxy do it again. Galaxy Quest. So that, uh, yeah. But that has, movie does a great job with that. Dan, have you checked out, um, is it Lower Decks? The not new, yet. No, no? I'm not I hear good yet. things. Yeah, you hear good too. things? Yeah. Okay. So I hear that Lower series. Decks is using, for the listener who doesn't know what we're talking about, Lower Decks is like an animated, um, satirical Star Trek show. Like but, fam Family Guy meets Star Trek, but not quite as crass as Family Guy. Yeah, no? and a whole okay. bunch of the dumb Star Trek toys that went in the licensing frenzy that came around, toy like you just re-sticker toys. Mm -hmm. They've made a bunch of them canon, like the Spock helmet and a bunch of things like that. <laughs> really? Like they oh, put awesome. into the lower decks, yeah. Oh, that's good. So well, all that stuff that you asked yourself, what the hell does it have to do with Star Trek, they've put in. Yeah, I love that idea of like you know uh, iconic story. Um, Star Wars did this. Uh, Biggs and Wedge are dead, or oh yeah. yeah, where it was about two stormtroopers, and it just follows their day to day on the Death Star and how they end up like escaping the Death Star before it explodes, all just by accident. They don't know what's going That's on. That's not canon, though, is it? Uh, I don't think it is. No, 
I don't oh, know. You would know. If no, I don't think. I don't if think anyone would know, it's but, the guy who runs the Star Wars podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that's canon. But I do, I do like that idea of you know that iconic story and then seeing a um, a side story happening kind of along the same Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are. Yes, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. That's and that's probably what that Star Wars thing is was referencing based, for based sure. Based on yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and Star Wars almost did it. They almost had a series called Detours, mm-hmm. which was an animated series, and they produced like probably thirty episodes of the I've series. I've seen about ten episodes for a while. They were. Uh, available uh, on YouTube. Yeah, and they've been and Lucasfilm has cracked down. Disney has cracked down yeah. on that. As soon as Disney bought Lucasfilm, that was quashed. Yeah. Not appropriate, not not in line with the the brand of Star Wars, the kid-friendly nature of Star Wars. It's actually genius. It's it's Lower Decks is the same idea, Detroit, right? Same idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it was Seth Green, the guy behind Robot Chicken, yeah. who did a bunch of great Robot Chicken parodies of Star Wars. So, so anyway, that was one that kind of quashed, and they could have done that with Star Wars. Okay, but so I think I think for Star Wars, the 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 action, the answer to, to Star Wars is the Lego adventures. Like they always have these Star Wars Lego yeah, st- totally. stories. Those are funnier. They can be goofy, but they are not canon. Okay, I have a question for both of you then. When we're talking about truth in advertising, right? And we're talking about this. Oh yeah, it's. It, Tag and Bink are dead, and it is canon. It's a licensed. Uh, what? It's a comic. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, Dark then Horse, yeah. Dark Horse printed. Yeah. That, right? that, that yeah. that's canon. Okay. Yeah. Biggs yeah. and Wedge are Final Fantasy. So characters. you were right. But Biggs and Wedge yeah. are also Star Wars characters. Oh, that there you, they go. Took you were right, and Fantasy. the Star Wars podcaster was incorrect. I just want that well, on the record. Oh, whatever. Oh, well, I, he could I, edit I did this out, say I the wrong name, so I mean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If I can under Biggs and Wedge are both like rebel pilots. I don't know what you didn't know what you're talking. That's about. right, Wedge and yeah, <laughs> yeah, Biggs. Um, okay, so what I was going to say was, um, detour below decks. A lot of people would say this is off brand. Right? Right. That this is not truth in advertising. Why I like Star Wars or Star Trek is not represented by these two brand affiliates. When it's kind of like restickering that trend of toy manufacturing in the eighties where you just in the eighties where you looked at whatever toys you had in the in the in the warehouse and then you resticker it with a Star Wars sticker or a Star Trek sticker or a G.I. Joe sticker and you sell it as that toy. Or you have a sticker that looks a lot like a Star Wars That's sticker. That's right. Mm. Something very similar. Right? And we see this at the dollar <laughs> store all the time. Oh yeah. Right? Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Like, w- how would you feel if someone came to you, Justin, and said, listen, I want to do uh, a Cassian Tonk porn parody. I mean, here's a hundred grand, <laughs> right? See, not, not that. It's kind of like, you know, Coke is a pretty iconic drink. And then there's like cherry Coke and vanilla Coke right. and all the, like, you brand, know, it's, brand extensions is what brand extensions. Yeah. yeah. I like the idea of brand extensions to a certain degree, but when you get into like, yeah, a, a porn parody. I don't think porn, they're never connected to the actual source. Okay, they're so they're not, certainly not officially licensed. And, but, but, so hold on, wait. We know where okay. the line is, Dan. We know <laughs> I think line the is line is, is lower than that. What actually. about an R-rated Cassian Tonk movie? Uh, it wouldn't be the same characters, but it can be set in the same universe. No, what if they said, no, listen, we got the license. We already paid for that. And we're making this movie because of this Do you have loophole. any other example of that right? working like a... A Disney property. That I know then, exactly. Yeah. So the Wizard of Oz. I'm sure there's there's uh, a horror version of Wizard of Oz. Okay, not a genre Oz, a change, but there's plenty of examples where where a license, a loophole in a license is exploited. So you have two properties on at the same time. The Chucky show and the Chucky movie, right? A Chucky two different show? companies. Two different companies developing those things. Mm. One of them with the actual creative team behind Chucky doing it, and one of them with the legal right to make Chucky. And not backing down and saying, take us to court if you don't want it. 
Seems pretty diluted. Right? And that's still all R-rated. Yeah, that's still all R-rated. Right. So that's not backing up your uh, No, it's not backing up my claim. We want something that's a PG or G-rated property that was made into an R-rated version. As, as his mask rubs on the microphone. I'm thinking. <laughs> At what point have they stretched? Like, there's what? Six Chucky movies now? Oh, more than that. Yeah. There's at least seven or eight, I think. And some of them are pretty bad. Some yeah, of them but are pretty the funny. Pe- some, all- of- some of them were shot right here in Winnipeg. Yeah. Yeah. By the people who made Chucky and have been involved in it from the beginning. So, like, you got to give it to Their them. Their brand integrity is kind of wishy-washy. I didn't mind days. the last Okay, here's ones. a brand extension <laughs> that is actually right on topic and on point for our podcast because we've mentioned it before. The Watchmen things. Mm. Uh, right? Okay. Okay, so for the dear listener who's not sure, here's the context. The Watchmen was written by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, did the art, but he also had a, quite a bit of say in the storytelling, it turns out. Um, not credited as a writer, though. He was ju- no, he was, just... he was definitely not the writer, but when you visually represent something and make any change, that's your idea, right. not the writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So uh, they make this book, and it was supposed to be a one-year license to DC Comics because at that time, DC didn't keep graphic novels in print, didn't keep creator-owned things in print. So as soon as it was not in print for one year, the rights would have lapsed back to DC Comics. That was the agreement. That was the gentleman's agreement. Also like, hey, we'll do this with you. Great, we'll split the money and then it'll be yours again after a year. Great, everyone signs their things and they carry on. As soon as it's a hit, they just kept it in print. So they always they re-release a new version of the Watchmen every year, and when they don't, they just do a brand extension. Oh, like what a movie? Like the movie, like before Watchmen, like um, the Rorschach comic that's coming out right now. These are ways in which the company, the parent company, says, "Listen, according to our agreement, as long as we're doing stuff in print, it's ours." Yeah, and that's the kind. Of, those are the kind of agreements that lead to bad Spider-Man movies, and and well, this is what I'm getting at, right? How do you guys feel about that? I, I don't like it. But you liked yeah. the new Watchmen show. Yeah. So did I. It does seem like it, it has forced a lot of properties to make really inferior products yeah. just You're, to keep... Just to keep the license. The yeah. Watchmen TV series was not... It was an example of a good execution of yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, yes, we have to make something Watchmen related Your to Your Sonic this. games are another example of things that aren't right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the full story, but like it's so... In, like There's 20 to 30 Sonic games out there mm. and qu- like eight... 18 to 25 of them are like just virtually everything after the Genesis until <laughs> until Sonic Mania is could be there's some good ones good. in there but there's uh. like there's a shadow the hedgehog game where he has guns and rides a motorcycle yeah right? no like, it's not great they're just oh almost R-rated you'd say <laughs> there we go yeah. so, and, so and everybody always points to Deadpool as being the R-rated comic book property that yeah. worked and that was the one that showed studios that you could make money with an R-rated comic yeah. book movie, but Deadpool was always R-rated. That was even, the comic book was R-rated. Uh, no, it sure well, wasn't. It wasn't? No, because it, was pro- it was produced under the Comics Code Authority, so no, it was certainly not R-rated. Uh, right? He they, had guns, yeah, and he had swords, sure, but it was a Marvel comic book published for children. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah. It's that. Touche. Touche. So that's two that you guys gave me. Those are answers you gave me. I didn't have. So credit where it's due. I had nothing to back up my claim. You guys had everything. But then they made a PG version of the Deadpool movie. Exactly. To try and reach back to its original line. It's oh. just, right? Yeah, I think it, yeah, it really depends like how close to the, the chest that project is. Like if it's a project that you haven't thought about in 10 years and somebody wants to take it and do something with it and they're going to give you money that'll fund your new project, yeah. you're probably going to say, yeah, I like go to town. Bye, grandpa.
Lord's hammer by the sons of Warvan, you shall be avenged. What I was going to talk about was the Star Wars, uh, um, Star Wars um, slot machines. Uh, which were which did exist the first time I went the to the arm motion he was making had both Justin and I concerned, but yeah, now sorry. we know what you're getting. I was pulling the slot on the slot machine. Um, when I first went to Las Vegas, there was the Star Wars. I love them. I'm like, this is so cool. It like plays little videos, and there's like a little touchscreen interaction where you can like choose a droid and that kind of stuff. When you like in the, the part where like Uncle Owen is buying the droids. Anyway, um, so they did this. This is a star, a very intricate Star Wars uh, gambling machine that that takes your money, and now I believe those are all gone. Disney does not did not renew any licenses. Once Disney bought the property, they got rid of all that stuff. So that does not. That's See, where, that's is, where the line is for Disney. This is also on theme, right? Because this is what essentially so many conventions are to people. It's like this genre themed slot machine. The speculators come and they put in their money and they uh, buy this limited edition cover or they buy this sketch edition by someone and then they immediately go to eBay and they try to flip it and they're just, it's like the slot machine. They're just that's happening with the PlayStation in, 5 right now right, too. It's ridiculous. Like that. And it I, just, I just feel like in the long run, that is, you know, you're never going to get rid of that element of human behavior. People are going to scalp tickets until, yeah. 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 But forever. you can create a system that encourages or discourages it, right? And right. Well, hasn't the internet, like the, tra- like, the whole baseball cards thing would have never happened had the internet been a thing because you could have done one little Google search on that card to find out, oh, no, there's thousands of those out there and right. this is not worth me paying $2,000 for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you'd think so. But then what happened is the, uh, like the comic grading system has moved itself in to say, okay, yeah, you have a copy of that book, but can you prove that it's a 9.8? Oh, you can't. You'll have to pay me to prove that it's a 9.8, so the value of your book is secure. Right. And then the same thing happens with, uh, with uh, Special Reserve Games, whom uh, the other podcast I work on, Great Games You Deserve, yeah. um, runs that. And uh, they release limited amounts of video games. So they do a special edition of a, a video game that was previously only available digitally. So it's, you know, the, like even Sonic Mania was it. Well, Sonic Mania did have a physical release, but it was primarily it was digital that, that people purchased it. But if this is a game like... Um, a good example is my friend Pedro. Have you ever played that one? It's like you see this talking banana, and right. it's kind of he like jumps a jumps sh- around and shoots people yeah. in yeah. full of time. It's just it's a murder game. It's, it's yeah. kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Um, and anyway, so they did a physical release. It had not been released digitally, and they're they're special packaging. It's sequentially numbered, so there's a limited amount of these. And they have they do have a problem with with people buying a couple. Sometimes they'll buy one from themselves, and then they'll buy one to try and flip on eBay, and then it, the the value is at least doubled. Yeah, if they try to sell it for for more and you know, I think that's a little premature because, yeah, it's got limited amounts, so it will be valuable at some point. But to try and sell it for twice as much right away seems just like a money grab. It's just just greedy, you know. And I don't know how much. I mean, people, it must work because people do it. They continue to do it. It does work. That's why people do do it. But I mean, we have, uh, you know, we're if we're talking to like the dollars and cents here, right? In Canada, what is it? Seventy-five uh, percent of people who lost their jobs in COVID have reclaimed employment since oh, that's good. the comeback. I believe it's only w- one in, like, for every person in America that lost their job, right? Um, or every two people, one of them have been reemployed. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna s- and so conventions. The reason why I gave that long, cold stare when you said conventions will come back. <laughs> conventions are fueled by disposable income. Yeah. Okay. That's true. 
right? And so it'll be a while before disposable income is so readily available, I think. Okay. Right? Yeah, so that's fair enough. Right? And I'm not saying this as doom and gloom. I'm just looking at, you know, you don't look at a pothole in the road and go, I should drive through that. You drive around it, right? So this is a pothole in the road that I think it's possible to navigate around. Um, our Kickstarter has done that for this one book, and hopefully it can do that for a bunch of books. And then it's, you know, then it's a few years later, and we all have a vaccine and a chip in our head, and uh, we're on our way to Mars to live on the <laughs> reptile colony. You know, something like that. Some future. Sure, sure. Right? This is, this is what I'm getting at. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, we were supposed to have a meeting. I was supposed to have a meeting with the publisher today uh, via Zoom, which got canceled because they had to go for COVID tests. Oh, so, no, that's not good. You know, like it's a, it's a reality. It's a real thing. And uh, the other thing I was thinking about with regards to that is that it's not even just getting COVID. Even getting the symptoms can mess you up. Yeah, totally. Like if you have symptoms, you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Even if it's a normal cold. Yeah, if you have a regular cold, imagine the stress that you are suddenly under. Is like, this... You have to go get tested. You have to wait for your test results to come back. And even if they do come back negative, yeah. you still walk around with a sniffly nose and coughing and sneezing. Nobody's yeah. going to want to be around you. Yeah. So you have yeah, to stay yeah. away from everybody, even if you have a regular cold. Yeah, and if you have kids, you worry about that That's constantly. Right. Yeah, right? those like, kids, if they get symptoms, they have to stay home from school. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. it's just the, you, know, you cannot get sick right now. That's right. just the, the worst thing ever is getting sick. So well, It used to be a good thing, kind of. So Although, all of those <laughs> things are the things that fuel shows, right? You right. bring your kids, you have a great adventure, they run around unattended for a little bit. You know, like you have a, it's, it's super fun. They're like the greatest place on earth if you're into genre stuff. Mm -hmm. But all of those things are suddenly going to be restricted with lines and caps and limits and, masks and, and interactions sanitizer. and masks and all the things that made it fun. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And you could just get celebrity lookalikes behind the mask <laughs> to do the signings <laughs> now. You don't even have to do it. You don't yeah. even have to do it yourself. Yeah, you that's right. Just, it really, right? I swear, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, Patrick right? Stewart. It totally yeah. is. Yeah. You can see his bald head. <laughs> That's exactly it. Anyway. If I was Patrick Stewart, I'd wear a mask on my face and on the top of my head. Have you guys seen the, have you seen the ads, the Uber Eats ads? I it's have, Patrick actually, Stewart yeah. and Mark Hamill. Those are hilarious. Yeah, this podcast is not sponsored by Uber, but I have seen that advertisement. <laughs> yeah, it was actually pretty funny. I love it. Oh, my God. Um, what else do you want to talk about? I don't know. What else is happening? What else is happening? iCollector, we got three issues in the can. Nice. Um, we're going to issue four and, and five can, right now. By can, you mean... Means they're written, lettered, um, the art is done, they're formatted for print, they're ready to go. You just have to push print on all Oh, okay. Of them. So they're not actually on, on the website yet? Uh, not up yet. Okay. Not up yet. That was uh, um, on my list of meetings to have today. That was another meeting that got bumped as a result of uh, events in America. Okay. So, you know, a publisher that I was working with is now closed, possibly indefinitely, on account of the um current economic status right, right, of right. Canada. I think you told us last week, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of things going on that you gotta just pivot and hope for the best. And so Justin, now that you are now you're not out of the woods completely with Dragon Nanny, you still have so kind of you have the hard part here's now. what I've done to myself. All <laughs> of August and September, everybody who wanted things done, I said, I have a big book coming out, so I can't talk to you or look at anything until October 9th. Well, October 9th has come and gone. And so now my list for October includes a project from Pure Later I'm not allowed to talk about, 13 portraits for a local gym in exchange for a membership, uh, three commissions robot related, 
four commissions for Kickstarter, like as part of my Kickstarter campaign, two scenes for that board game Akarios, and one logo. And that's everybody else's stuff. So Is that before the end of the month you have That's on? like... I need to get going on like. Why are you all talking to us? You have so much to do. <laughs> I'm a little like jittery right now. Yeah, little, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Yeah, my things are all um, self-initiated. Like I have a no- the sequel to Automatic Age. I've been working on it, but I've been sticking to my schedule, so I'm not panicked um, because I've been doing my words every day, and so they eventually pile up into a book. So that part's okay. Uh, working on uh, iCollector is the only one that's kind of panicky a little bit, but I've got three <laughs> issues before we launch. So really, I have a three-month buffer. So if it took me two months to do an issue that normally takes me 20 days, um, you know, that could work out. Um, and then I have some consulting work for a comic company that wants to do some toys. Basically, uh, Will Little's uh, amazing work on Dragon Nanny has meant that someone has reached out to me to say, like, I don't, you guys clearly know more than we know. Can you teach us what you know? Uh, and oh, I said, cool. yeah, we'll do it for money. And they said, okay. So, <laughs> That's good. Um, so there's like that kind of thing, you know, like there's some side hustles. I'm doing some work also for um, uh, still for the meat, doing some uh, stuff on that first issue. Oh, on that note, I have uh, foils for them. Last time right. you guys were in here. here? Mm, yes, that's ones, one right? of them. That's one of them. Yeah, because that's number one, right? So if you're listening... Yeah. <laughs> Meet fellas, we've got your foils here set yeah. aside. The printing is they done. They pre-purchased the very first Doctor Who foil right. that I it's did. It's very cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually artist. incredible. Thank you. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and then uh, I've been, three different film companies have been in touch. Uh, companies, uh, producers really is a better way to say it, uh, have been in touch since sort of, uh, it sounds like since words got out that I will do some of this pre-production that they can double dip on. Um, none of those has solidified into an, a contract yet, but you know, it's work I didn't envision or think about like pursuing unless it was my idea, mm-hmm. but given that everything else is going on, they're fun projects, they're horror related and they're, you know, in my wheelhouse. So I may just have a go. I want you to know that I'm not a complete brain case. Okay. <laughs> I understand completely that it's just a TV show. Oh. Hold on. I know there's no Wait a minute. Stop. Stop for a second. Stop. Wait. No ship. It's all real. Oh my god, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. We are doing a fan quest virtual Halloween ball, kind of. It's just I just called it that, but because we had a we had a Halloween ball last year at this time. It was just before Halloween, and it was great. It was in person. It was just a nightmare when you think about it. Uh, <laughs> when you think about it in terms of today, it was like. Man, I'm glad COVID was not around. That would yeah. have been awful. Yeah, it would have been your super spreader <laughs> it event. Totally yeah. would have been. A bunch of sweaty people in <laughs> costumes all dancing. Yeah, that's in a what it space. was. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, and we also screened some films. So what we're doing for a virtual one is we're going to have a panel. We're going to have one panel of horror creators, and you'll be on that panel, as well as hopefully uh, uh, J-Ball and some other people. That's why you're um, calling it the ball, right? That's right. It's, it's, it's the just special the, J- the special Halloween J-Ball. Um, <laughs> uh and uh, so we'll talk about how just the genre in, in general and how you guys create within the genre and why we love it so much and just have a great conversation about horror because yeah. it's a big part of it. And I'm also hoping to get Steve Kostansky on that panel. He's a he's a horror filmmaker from Winnipeg that lives in um, Toronto right now. His latest film is called Psycho Goreman. Uh, it's just exactly <laughs> what it sounds like. Okay. You know, that kind of movie. It's just right up there 
with like Toxic Avenger, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Beautiful. Um, anyway, so that that's one thing. And then we're going to do some horror trivia, which is always my favorite. I love trivia contests. So we'll have that virtual trivia contest. Uh, this is all going to be done over Zoom, of course, streaming to Facebook and to wherever else. Right. Um, so people can watch live. And of course, this, no, we're not going to charge anybody for, for it, but we're going to try to raise some money for a charity right. and that kind of stuff. So it's going to be fun. That's on October 30th. And that's really that. And um, I have an idea for a book that I want to talk to you guys about after uh, we get off the podcast. I don't want to say it out loud right now. Dun, dun, but... dun. Speaking of ideas <laughs> for books, uh, we've also, I've been hosting 13 Horrors on the 13th of every oh, month. Oh, yeah. The hour before midnight. So we've got two in the can right now. So uh, 11 more months to go. Uh, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, 13 Horrors is this um, brainstorming event that I do uh, for 13 months in a row, the hour before midnight on the 13th of every month. I get some writers together and we uh, plus one a story. We try in one hour, we try to get a complete treatment for a, for a horror like, story. Like the story breaking episodes. Just like our story yeah. breaking episodes. A little bit more um, uh, structured. It's a little bit more structured, but also because we're not recording them to share, we do record them for our own notes. Mm -hmm. uh, people are a little bit more free to say things that are uh, definitely you wouldn't normally <laughs> okay. say. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get right? it. Horror sometimes is about shock. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. You wouldn't want to be quoted saying some of these things. Mm. Right? So, what about uh, Inktober? I yeah. have not done any ink. No, my my uh, my kids are doing it. My daughter's doing it. I think. There you go. We're about so to it. draw a hundred ink drawings or more. Actually, more like three hundred, in all uh, the different books. Close to five hundred nannies. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. So you guys, do you guys drawing uh, thirty uh, ink drawings in a <laughs> row is not a challenge. Not a big deal. No. <laughs> Thirty-one. Yeah. And then, what do you think about the whole Jake Parker stealing uh, tutorial pages from another artist? Did you see? I think that whole. Okay. Kerfuffle? No, what is it? Explain that to me. Yeah. I don't know. So Jake Parker is a fairly prolific Instagram artist or just online artist. And he's the guy who was behind Inktober. He kind of started that. Oh, okay. Um, and um, I don't know him personally, but I'm, I'm good friends with somebody who's good friends with him. And that guy had nothing but good things to say about him. So as, as far as I'm concerned, he, he seems like a pretty nice guy. Um, so Jake Parker was coming out with a new book. And to kind of preview the book, he did a, a post where he just showed a video flipping through it. There's a and book about like how to draw with ink. It's how to draw uh, with ink. It's okay. all about ink techniques. And so this other artist online um, put together like a 27-minute YouTube video going through that video and like picking out pages and showing how what Jake Parker was teaching about inking is very, very similar to a book that he put out teaching about inking and how Jake Parker stole his work. Right. But and I have five books on that shelf over there about inking that all have the those thing, same right? sections. Yeah, it's the same the basics, yeah. Yeah, the basics. The basics are universal. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. It's like, like if I asked you to show me how to throw a punch, right, you would go through the basics that you learn at boxing. Yeah. There are lots of variations, but the, ba the foundational principles are the same always. That's what I feel about this. This guy is complaining that somebody also knows the foundational principles and put those sections in his book. It's uh, and then the other red flag was he didn't he didn't reach out to Jake Parker or the the uh, publishing team about like hey is there like there's some similarities between our books. He just went online. Yeah, that's a that's a red flag yeah. for sure. You don't like. So but I bet he sold a lot of copies of his book. No, oh, but yeah. man, the venom that came yeah. Jake Parker's way. Like People his... were already upset at Jake Parker yeah. so it was, uh, <laughs> because his lawyer was like doing cease and desist related to Inktober. So, okay. Uh, 
Well, that was, yeah. So people who um, would do participate in Inktober would then take all their drawings and then like publish books or sell it branded as my Inktober drawings. But Inktober is like his, his brand, his creation. Technically his intellectual. He trademarked it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we had, which, yeah, that's a little. And the reason I think it, what happened is that the trademark was probably being asserted while they were putting this book together. Right. Okay. And so, because it's a long, it's you know, it takes about twenty-four months to go mm. through regular publishing to go from start to. This finish. is like when uh, when brands are not allowed to say that the uh, uh, they say the Olympics in their commercials when they're not officially sponsors of the Olympics. That's they have to right. say the summer games or yes. the the games and that kind of yeah, stuff. They have to cut around it. It's my drawings in October. Yeah. Now the core thing here is, Inktober started as a thing. Let's all share our drawings. Let's all draw for a month. Let's yeah. all draw every it's day. To inspire. To and, inspire people. Yeah. And I, just as usual, as soon as you sprinkle some money in it, everyone gets sour. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, I'm seeing some great work, though, uh, uh, for, for my friends who are doing Inktober. Yeah. I'm seeing some sure. excellent work. Shout out to uh, James Gillespie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. Doing, <laughs> he's doing his own. He's just doing swearwolves. He's doing 30 different <laughs> swearwolves. <laughs> swearwolves saying the most inappropriate things in yeah. giant inked word bubbles. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's so, great. Uh, you know, you can do whatever you want for 30 days. But we have, it's 500, eh? Yeah. In my mind, I was like 300. 300 is only this many. I was doing some math. So it's, we have 475 backers on Kickstarter, right. and pretty much they each get a book. But then there's the people who doubled up as yeah. well, and there's some retailer bundles. And then orders are coming in through ChasingArtwork.com as well because you can still pre-order. Right. And, uh, and then all the donate like 100 books are getting donated to schools, and 100 yeah. books are getting donated to the hospital. And those like those 100, 200 books aren't all Dragon Nannies. They're kind of assorted, but okay, everything dude. needs to be sketched. So if we So say, we should really be drawing in things right now. Right now. Hold <laughs> on. So let's say it's 600 books, mm-hmm. just to like to give a nice round number. So that's 600 minutes. You got to spend more than a minute on a right? sketch. Yeah, you probably do. But <laughs> what I'm saying is if you can get it down to about a minute, this is why I do when I sketch in books, I do these single line drawings often, like where I don't lift the pen. Oh, it's what's the word I'm, for that? I'm contour? trying to do... It's contour drawing? Uh, there's a bunch of different names. Yeah. We should check Jake Parker's book. Probably has some. <laughs> no, we should check that other guy's oh, that book other that came out first. Uh, <laughs> but one of the reasons why that developed for me was, you know, if I had a line of uh, 10 or 15 people, you don't want them all waiting 10 minutes, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want them to be able to have their interaction, have a legitimate drawing, right? But literally lifting the pen off to make a number of marks, each one of those slows you down. So I would just do these continuous flow monsters or heroes or whatever. So, you know... You can get it to down around a minute, and it's still a pe- like a nice drawing. So six hundred, you know, six hundred minutes. So I've got a plan. I want hours. to. Um, it's only ten hours. We've got a bunch Without, of tables in the studio with no breaks. No breaks. <laughs> we have all these tables in the studio. Greg and I both have big desks. We've got a nice old your old kitchen table from when you grew up. Like, this is. Do you want yeah. the real story? Yeah. You want yeah. the whole story? From the town of Ethelbert, where my parents grew up, my mother salvaged this old table from my grandmother, which was painted and like left aside. She stripped it, repaired it, and put it together, and it was our kitchen table growing up. I've played a million hours of D&D at this table. (laughs) I've drawn a zillion drawings on the wood of this table. I've probably literally bled into it so often that it's like a family member, as the expression goes. Um, so this is the table that we have here. And now you're podcasting on it. And now we podcast. Uh, and, and signing uh, and drawing things on it. Um, so many drawings. So I want to know, while you guys are doing this, um, I want to know what you're watching on the TV. 
I want. <laughs> I don't know. Like we guys got to show so some, like, here's some live the, streams of you guys signing. You yeah. guys have to do some of that. Kind yeah, of stuff. there's gonna be some time lapses, but um, like so, I'm gonna put all these tables together and just have a long line of books, and then in my wheelie chair, just go from one to the next to the next to yeah. the next to the next. <laughs> um, and I'll put something on that I've seen before. Wait, this is perfect because we can both have a wheelie chair. We'll set and then it up. We'll just and then race. we can be socially distance. Yeah, yeah. And we can swing around the table. You can set up the sketch. I can knock it off. We can do like we do at shows, but that'll actually Just work. Just like the assembly line autographs that get going at Comic Cons, and they have like the entire cast of Game of Thrones or something there, yeah. and they just go one to the other to the other, and they. Well, we play a fun up. game where one character will hold up, like you'll draw a little character holding us, yes. holding something, but we don't know what that something is, and then one of the two of us will draw in the other part. Ted the Shield Tester. Yeah, so yeah. you end yeah. up with these great like. You know, it's just, it becomes fun instead of this like monotonous draw machine brain time. It becomes a little bit back and forth. So we'll do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you don't know what you're going to watch, you're going to wait and see? It'll probably be a series because it needs to go on for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, my go-tos are usually like a Star Trek, like Voyager or Next Generation, um, just because they almost play out like radio shows. There's yeah. very few times you have to look up to see what's happening. It's all yeah. a lot of talking. Well. And yeah. Yeah. So that's well, yeah. very easy listening. Um, I only watch. Yeah. I like if a movie's actually grabbing my attention, you I'll stop working and save that movie for later when I can actually pay attention. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's good. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So well, it's going to be, I look forward to uh, hearing all about it. Yeah. And then the logistics of packing up those 500 books. I look forward to. I don't look forward. You don't to have it. to. I can just come get mine here. I can, I can pick it up when you guys. We are going to do that though. We're gonna. Yeah, there's going to be some kind of local pickup option that will arrange some kind of safety procedures and stuff like that. Um, and then there's there's no option on Kickstarter for free shipping um, that would have worked in any easy way that wasn't complicated. So we will also be throwing in some extra goodies for any local yeah. orders that uh, that came in. And yeah, um, so we're going to have a free pickup option. Like you can come here and get it in person. Uh, socially distanced and safely. And then because uh, you already paid for shipping, we'll probably throw in a book or a printer or some other thing as a, you know, incentive. And might have a drive around I mean, if you'd rather night. Have it, we'll contact those people. If they'd rather have it shipped anyway, then that's what they'll get, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah. it's just, Give we just crave that. human contact a little bit, even <laughs> through the glass. I'd like to see some faces, right? Yeah. So Cool. All right. Well, I think this has been Super Pulp Science, where we've talked about how genre gets made. We've talked about truth in advertising. And this is Gregory Kamichuk encouraging you to join the fight and make comics.